everyone. Welcome to the 10th podcast from the Melbourne AWS User Group. Also, welcome to our last meetup of the year, which is, happens to be the same very thing. Obviously, we're recording this podcast live, which is fun. And usually this is the point in a live podcast where the audience would do some cheering. But for fairly obvious reasons, that is not as much possible this time. So my name is Arjen Swartz and I'm your host today. And before I introduce everyone else, I'll just do some housekeeping, uh, just the usual stuff so that you're aware. If you're watching this while we're streaming, please feel free to leave comments, questions, things you want us to talk about, um, things that you believe we say wrong, leave them in the chat. and. That's the main thing. Now, obviously, we've had a lot of announcements at reInvent, so we won't be covering everything. Again, if there's something you really want us to cover, you can mention it, and we might actually do so. We'll go through all the topics in order, as usual as well, if you're familiar with how we do this at the meetup or in the podcast. So that's all pretty clear. And if Rob can keep up with... The switches in topics that might even the topic might even appear at the bottom of the screen. I'll give it my best. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, as things will likely get a bit messy by the end, let me already start with thanking our sponsors. You saw them on the screen earlier, but obviously, I want to thank our gold sponsor for both 2019 and 2020, Enabler. They've stuck with us all this time, and it's been a great experience. And of course, the same goes for our silver sponsors, AC3, CMD, and Do It International. So a big thank you to all of you. And that's it for the housekeeping part. So I'll just introduce everybody in case you're not familiar with some of us. I'll go from left to right. Right next to me, leaning out of the screen, is Guy Morton. Hi, how are you going? Great to be here again. And from rainy Queensland, we've got Jean-Manuel Becker. Yes, today in Queensland. Hello, everyone. Very happy to be here again. Um, happy and excited about the reinvent stuff. And last but definitely not least, my co-organizers and the brains behind the meetup itself, Rob Amos. Definitely not the brains behind the meetup. <laughs> sure you are. I'm not even close. So before we dive into the actual announcement, um, what do you think about how reinvent has gone so far? Um, well, I'm I'm next to you in the in the boxes, so I'll I'll I'll, I'll take that as a question directed at me personally. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's not really been very galvanizing. I found like um, we came into it with a lot of excitement and uh, and anticipation and thinking, you know, this this could be great. Um, and um, it's just it's just really hard to kind of get a vibe off. Um, a schedule of of um, you know uh, video presentations. Um, even even the light, the the fact that some of it's sort of live streamed. Um, obviously, because of the time zone, we don't get it live streamed. So it's all sort of happened, you know, eight hours before uh, we, we get to it, or however many hours it is. Um, yeah. So that's that's. But look, I think there's a lot of content there and I think that obviously a lot of effort's gone into it and they've really done a much more polished job than they did at the summit, let's say. So, yeah, yeah. Very, very good quality video, I must say, and a very impressive 
the, I mean, the, the keynote with Andy Jassy and the, the other keynotes are really well polished. The, the applause is a bit uh, fictitious. It's interesting when they release a new product. Um, but a, a bit like, yeah, hard to be in the vibe. I mean, I've been reinventing in 2018 and, and that's totally a different experience. Um, I'm still doing my routine every day, looking at the announcement in the morning. So I know all the announcements already on my Slack before I look at the, the rebroadcast of the, uh, keynote, but that's still very interesting. Nice to see Andy Jassy, um, like faithful to his word and, and always the same. So it, it was, it was good. It was good. I enjoyed it. And then still very good videos. I found that, uh, why do we need to wait one week to see the video we missed? But apart from that, happy with it. Yeah. Look, I'll be the one that, um, dissents from the, the global view. I really, I really missed Vegas this year. Um, mm. normally when you've got reInvent, the only distraction from focusing entirely on the content is how much you choose to drink at, at the vendor's expense sort of thing. This last three weeks has pretty much just been constant distractions and I've consumed maybe 10% of what I normally would in a normal reInvent week. So yeah, I can't yeah. say I'm a fan. Yeah. Maybe that's just my lack of discipline. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're all agreeing, really. I think um, it, it's just that we're, we're, we're trying to be nicer about it than you are. <laughs> Look, I think that, I think I think the keynotes have been have have probably had some some interesting content in them. I thought Andy's keynote was was you know had some good good stuff in it. There's there was an infrastructure keynote that I thought was quite interesting, covered some interesting stuff about specifically about their sustainability initiatives. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, and yeah. some of the interesting really stuff good. they're doing around the yeah, technology yeah. of um you know power backups and 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 all that sort of gear where they're sort of innovating in that space. Um. So that was kind of an interesting. That was a good insight. That was that was valuable. I thought. What did you think, Ian? I actually, very much like Rob, I missed most of it because I was busy doing other things and couldn't get the time to watch the videos I wanted at the time they were shown. And yeah. then, when finally by the end of the week they get released, and I've come back for some of them, but I haven't even watched the ones from last week yet even though they've now been out for well a day or two yeah yeah it's it's not special anymore is it it's like the moment's passed you as as i think um jean, jean manuel said you know you've already read the announcements uh on the feed anyway so it's like okay mm. i go and watch the video that, that says it but you know so what yeah but we have to be like um verna i think um see yeah, what happens tomorrow yeah, yeah. yeah. always interesting so or tonight if you want to stay up no, <laughs> I think this will be like um, like how I treat WWDC. Now that I've I've seen everything that's coming, I'll go back and watch the ones that are really interesting, but mm. probably skip everything else. Yeah, I mean the other thing I would probably say is it was a surprise to me was how poorly the whole scheduling stuff was really put together. Like the user the user experience of the of the um the reinvent um guide was pretty bad um like the fact that yeah. you couldn't filter on language for a start was like a big no you can filter on language just not on english that's right <laughs> exactly and if you don't choose a language you get all of them anyway so <laughs> it's like yeah um there's some sort of pretty basic things there which uh, you know i mean the the, the su suggestion I, I made was you know, really what I, I want is I want to just be able to go into a UI and say, these are the things that interest me and just have the 
thing generate a, a list of, you know, and sort of levels like, you know, 200s, 300s, 400s, and just have it spit out, oh, go, this is your schedule for reinvent. These are the things you should catch. Mm. And that's, and uh, that would have been, that would have, that would have saved me getting kind of over it. Do you know what I mean? Like trying to figure out myself what, what, what was coming up and dealing with the time zones and all the rest of it. Um, yeah. So that would, but I think they could have, they could do something really nice. And hopefully they will next time. I like the fact that um, I had a meeting cancelled one day, and then so I went to the website, and he was telling me all oh, the next three sessions are these, and so you could launch them and then wait for them to to come up. And yeah, you know, I didn't look at the schedule because obviously there is no pressure when you are going to reinvent. You need to schedule that like three months in advance if you want your spot. Uh, here, there is no pressure, so I didn't really look deeply in the schedule. But the fact that pop to the website, what's the next? On the list, who could be interesting, and um, that that was not too bad. So, always improvement. MVP with AWS, and then uh, get better next time. Because yeah. I don't <laughs> think next year we're going to go to reinvent again. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, I don't know, 16 million people sick something in the US. That's pretty pretty scary when we are all safe in Australia now. So yeah. Yeah, they should. I don't even it, yeah. think my work will allow me to go. I don't think they uh, they want people to get too risky. Right, so. Yeah, yeah. too risky. Well, they have to pay for you to sit two weeks in quarantine each end as well. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Let's uh, dig in. So this is usually the part where we start with finally in Sydney. But who cares about Sydney anymore? Yeah. We're getting our exactly. own region here in Melbourne. Yeah. We've got our own. We'll be finally, finally. in Melbourne. But finally. do we actually yeah, need no. one, though? Like A region? A full region, yeah. What are you saying, Rob? <laughs> wash your mouth out with soap. I'm just looking at, at all of the hours of work to migrate everything. That's all. You're not, you don't work at a consultancy, do you? <laughs> no, that's true. Think of all, the, all that extra money all, for all the consultancies. All the you guys are going to be employed oh, for years. Zone. Yeah, a new landing zone, a new network, passing mm. getaway across region S3 replication or replication. Yahoo! Jamie, <laughs> 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 you can see the you can see the dollars. Just... No, the fun, the fun of building new stuff. Make right? it rain. We, we have been, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, we're in Australia. We can't have data going overseas. All the banks need to have keep the stuff here. So in the US. Building application that Netflix or Airbnb was is awesome, right? Building that that level of high availability and and redundancy. So now we're going to be able to do it in Australia. That's that's yeah. pretty cool. Um, and no more like, oh, your online banking is down for maintenance. What? What's that? So it won't happen anymore. You yeah, no, that'll still happen. <laughs> I don't think two well, regions are suddenly going to make bank the banks in Australia be highly available. Yeah, yeah because they run on on Redshift on Prime, aren't they? No, not on Redshift, sorry, on um, <laughs> um, OpenShift, sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, in general, obviously, it's cool that we're getting it sometime in 2022. Yep, and yep. we're only one of a couple of sort of countries that have more than one region. So obviously, US has got heaps. Um, but you what other Europe countries have? One country. Well, Europe, if you count Europe as one, I mean, look at they have Paris, London, Ireland, Milan. Yeah. Do you really count it as one? I don't count it as one. I'm talking about countries China. here. Well, they, they have, they have China, five. Um, Japan. China. Yeah. So China does. I think J J Japan does. Yeah. yeah. It will soon, yeah. Right. Yeah. India will soon. Yeah. 
Well, that that makes heaps of heaps of sense. I mean, it does, as Rob, I think, kind of rudely suggested. We don't really need it here in Australia. I mean, I think that, that you you could certainly make a case for that. But look, I think it's a great um, it's a great vote of confidence um, for AWS, you know, in the Australian market. And obviously, it's a great time to be an AWS head in 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 melbourne and um you know i don't know if dan the man had anything to do with with um making this happen but if he did hey you know <laughs> it's another reason to think how awesome it is. <laughs> no i think i think you're right it's it is going to enable a whole bunch of cloud workloads that couldn't before because of high availability requirements and data sovereignty requirements so net positive for all of us yeah, yeah. and we can have three millisecond round trips to the, to the region now instead of 20. Yeah, that's right. I, I can yeah. use S3 as my, you know, C one. <laughs> That'll be faster than your local storage. There'll still be the NBN though, just to screw everything Aye. up. So you know, would have been three, but then NBN. So now very exciting. So end of 2022, though, I was a bit disappointed with that. I heard the rumors from a long time, 46 months ago, that that was coming. I was expecting something closer, but that's okay. We can wait. There's three, three availability zones, so we're going to inherit all the good products, Lambda, Aurora, and all that. So, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, and uh, like I said, more networking to do. We don't know the location exactly yet, but probably going to be something closer to, um, to the airport and in the west, in, in the east. I don't know um, how they're going to keep the data center apart. But, um, yeah, pretty cool. Yep. We can some bet of how we're going to name it. It's going to be AP South East Four because three is taken. I think it's Indonesia. Yeah. So two yeah, is Sydney. We're going to have a gap. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. You can just use all the even numbers for Australia. Maybe we'll have a six in Perth or something. Yeah. <laughs> but then switching back to actual Sydney, um, which is the only thing we can use at the moment. A couple. Announcements there. So, uh, some things that are interesting for EMR. You can now use the Graviton 2 instances in Sydney, which is good. We discussed this a couple months ago, I think, when they made it available in general. But now it's good that we can finally use it here. Yeah, really, Graviton is like the new hot uh, processor, mm. right? Um, Everybody's yeah. talking about it. The Mac M1 now has been released as well, Raspberry Pi. Everything is on ARM and um, AWS by building their own um, uh, chips uh, with Graviton 2 uh, uh, allowed to save power. And that was in the, in, in the, um, the keynote as well on, on power, how to save power, how to yeah. get more efficient and uh, get cheaper and as well more performance. So why not? And one is managed services like EMR, uh, which is entirely managed by AWS. We just need to consume that. Uh, why not? Just swapping. Give you 30% lower cost and 15% improvement uh, in performance for the same stuff. Mm. Yep. yep, pretty sweet. The um, Postgres um, compatible Aurora uh, serverless has now now come to um, Sydney as well, which I'm really happy about as well. To Rob. Yep, me too. Um, so um, I've got a Postgres RDS which I'll be switching over um, because it doesn't. Yeah, it's tiny, so, um, so serverless will work really well for me there. Notice now that there's a serverless version one, that's because there's a version two, which we won't talk about now. 
um, because it's, it's just that's not point. in Sydney. Yeah, <laughs> that's not in Sydney yet. Uh, and uh, uh, no, Serverless yeah. Two is V Two is not in Sydney. No, that's right. But we do have a distinction now between Serverless Version One and um, and Version Two. So that's yeah. news too. Yeah. And the last one in Sydney, I think we mentioned this at the meetup already because it was released that week, is SageMaker Studio um, now being here. So if you use that to build your AIML models, then you can do that here as well. One of the huge army of SageMaker branded products. Who was raving on about that? Somebody was raving on about that. Um, but yeah. Well, it's been three years in the making, right? AI, ML has been always a dominance in reInvent for the last three years, I think, and, and this year again, that, that's yeah. been massive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And half the services need to be called SageMaker. Yeah. Mm. And if, if we were looking at, looking for themes, I guess, which is, you know, I guess one of the one of the things that you that come out of events like reInvent is the themes. Obviously, ML has been a big, um, you know, before this year but I think when you see it now kind of creeping into all sorts of nooks and crannies um, where AWS didn't really do it apply ML before it's like pretty much um, ML everywhere now yeah mm. that was one of the themes of this year's reInvent yeah it's every AWS service plus ML in some yeah. way yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And we benefit. Like, look at Guard Duty, who came, I think, two years ago. Um, it's an awesome product for our customer to use AI ML to monitor your account and, and make sure that everything is secure. And more products as well this year uh, linked with security and AI in the background. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get to the ML section, won't we? I am. Yeah. I think it takes <laughs> about three hours to run through. So, yeah, we'll spend a bit of time there. So, let's start with the serverless section then, though. Some big news around Lambda. Mm. Actually, a bunch of big news items. I guess the first one that everybody will be happy about is the one millisecond billing. Yep. Yeah. Very That's, happy about uh, that. Yeah, it, it's awesome. I mean, many Lambda functions run for five, sometimes 10 milliseconds, and, and we were used to get charged hundreds, so it's going to be a massive reduction there. Um, I don't know how they do it, right? I mean, changing the billing is probably one thing, but losing that much money when they have that cash cow running lenders in the background all the time across yeah, that, all these AWS accounts. That, that's absolutely massive when I upload AWS on doing this kind of stuff because yeah. we know all the cloud vendors don't do this kind of stuff. It's a good news story. Yeah. Like most yeah. people were paying dollars for yeah. hundreds of thousands of Lambda invocations and now going to be paying a couple of cents. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. a lot of their customers. Yeah. I'm sure everybody who's actually spending significant money on Lambda will probably still continue to spend significant money on Lambda. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, it's a very good news story. As I was going to say, the, the interesting thing about that to me too is how obviously AWS are quite good about reducing costs of services over time, which is you know something that's, that's I guess, a, a, a good thing. But I think it also points to how they kind of take a strategic view of services like Lambda, I think, and they think, okay, well, we want to use Lambda to underpin a bunch of other things. Like we want, we want it to be kind of part of the an ecosystem of 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 things that you use. So those sorts of problems, like hundred millisecond billing, actually become uh, friction on on people adopting those services. I think over time, so it's actually in their interest too. I think to make these services, the billing for them, more you know more um, accurate, because mm-hmm. it, it actually changes the model of how people approach building in AWS. Yeah, yeah. When the when the model is reflected by uh, or you know reflects the actual cost, 
it's probably a net benefit in terms of um, you know people building things better. You know, yeah, that's why we buy the cloud for right. That's the cloud yeah. that we have been sold for years. Like you just yeah. pay as you you use and not uh, upfront cost or capex cost. So that's no, I agree. That's good. But big announcement for Lambda as well. Like maybe to make to compensate the money they're going to lose on the billing, they they make bigger instances with bigger memory and and bigger CPUs. That that way you can uh, run Lambda in a bigger environment. So uh, move from the maximum was three gig before. Now it's ten gig. And now you can have up to six vCPUs uh, per Lambda. That's well, really good. Mm. Yep. So vCPU, I remind everyone, vCPU is, is hyper-threaded core, right? So one core is two vCPUs. So if you had to compare with uh, full cores on-prem. Yeah, actually so read an article um, quite interesting that showed that you don't actually get the full CPU cores on Lambda. That's right, yeah. That was the um, the article that was talking about was looking at the price performance with the combination of millisecond billing plus, um, you know, so plus this extra capacity you could apply. Uh, at what point did the brakes sort of become more? When did it become cheaper? I think to, to to size up to the next instant size. And yeah, there were some odd odd breaks there, weren't there? Where you'd go up and you wouldn't really get that much more performance. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, but definitely an interesting. Interesting thing, and the big one as well, the container image support, right? Uh, we saw yeah. that through um, Lightcell uh, last month, I think it was, but now fully in Lambda, uh, you can uh, use your container uh, code, not images. They need to be still a bit massages to run with the Lambda API runtime, uh, but um, you can now run your same pipeline and deploy into Lambda directly or run your pipeline, run your, your uh, containers uh, for 15 minutes in there. That's pretty exciting. Do we think this deprecates Lambda layers? Like, why would you now, I guess? Yeah, I think it depends a bit on where you come from. If you come from, say, serverless background and have already invested in putting all of that there, then you yeah. can probably just keep on building the layers. If, on the other hand, you're more used to containers, then it's super easy now. Yeah, that makes sense. I just find it frustrating as a console developer that for every operation in AWS, there is now at least a minimum of two <laughs> different ways to do it that I need to support, sometimes three or four. Mm. It's just all this extra work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that, that gives people a, a way of upgrading to serverless, right? When you look at so many applications running on containers today or have been moved to container because it's easier, but now they have a, a testing mechanism like maybe we can run some on mm. ECS, some on EKS, some on Lambda. It's all the same code. Uh, so that that's pretty neat, I think, uh, to yeah. you know embrace really serverless and then ditch the Kubernetes I hate. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we'll that section yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I use it and, and, and I embrace it for my customers. But uh, and, and I guess the Melbourne region is one of the excitement for me as well. It's like, oh, we need multi-cloud. And multi-cloud means uh, central denominator, means Kubernetes, means all that complexity. And that goes against all the principle of using cloud. If you even listen to the, the, the uh, reInvent um, keynote, uh, on the infrastructure, it's all about simplicity, removing complexity, why building Kubernetes on top of cloud, that's the other question I can't answer. Um, so um, having, having uh, moving to serverless and, and moving uh, your existing containers without too much recording into Lambda, that, that's already awesome. Sorry, I 
of my life. <laughs> no, we we love opinions. Well, I see Christopher spending, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I agree. I mean, it is, and it's just like, oh, why do you do that? Yeah. Just use ECS or use Lambda. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I had a customer or a potential customer the other day do do it, come to us and say, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna use Kubernetes," and just like, why on earth would you do that? Yeah. Like, you you've got half a dozen servers. Uh, you need the team of ten people just to maintain. Yeah. The and well, and the whole team alive, is 10 yeah. people are already just that that's all there is. They're all developers. Yeah. Um, you're gonna really want to, yeah, no, you, you don't want to do that. That's just crazy talk. So, what else do we have in serverless? Uh, so, Lambda Insights is CloudWatch Lambda Insights is basically we discussed it when it came out, I think like a month or two ago. Yeah, but it's just like Container Insights was for containers. It gives extra statistics, extra insight into how everything is running. You pay extra for it, but it is quite useful in its way. And it's now GA. That was the big news about that one. Yeah, um, SQS. So the batch window is now five minutes for Lambda to fetch data from SQS as an event source. So I think. What was it previously? 60 seconds? It was smaller anyway. Well, it, was, it might have even been smaller than that. But that just is allows you to, to batch up more data to process in, in one go. So it's useful. Anybody had to look at the code signing? Yeah, I think uh, Chris, on, on Chris would be really sad if we didn't mention code signing. Didn't he get excited about code signing? Chris? As an iOS developer, I, nothing I enjoy talking more about <laughs> than code signing. Uh, <laughs> my so life. I remember yeah. that. I remember the misery of code signing with, um, yeah, with Apple developer. Man, yes, I feel your pain. <laughs> but now you can enjoy it in Lambda. So. Yay! Yay. Both of my worlds have code signing now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At least we're experienced with it. Yeah. Code signing, um, clearly it is a way to sign your code. Usually you would do that in your CSD pipeline, so you don't actually have to go through a lot of work for it. And then you set it up so that your Lambda can only run signed code. And that has some security benefits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't even know there was a service called AWS Sign until I looked at the announcement for that. Did, did, you, did you know there was a service called AWS Sign? No, so it came out for, the, for that reason, yeah. I, I, I guess it did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a lot of products been around, but yeah. I don't think you can sign anything other than Lambda functions with it, so. Uh, you can sign something else. Um, there was two things. You can you sign could, a blank uh, check. One was Lambda functions. <laughs> yeah. AWS IoT. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yeah. that's it. That, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was you should have known then. Guy. Yeah, I knew there was something else. I should have remembered that, shouldn't I? But, yeah. but um, you need a free OS or um, AWS with AWS IoT device management. So it's not for every IoTs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Then let's just switch to the container section. Oh, hang on, hang on. Sorry, we can't, we can't switch past. We can't skip over step functions. The start sync execution for for step functions, um, I'm excited by. So normally, step functions is an asynchronous um, execution model. So you trigger your step functions, and then if you want to know what happened to it, you have to poll to 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 find out what's going on. So this is a synchronous execution model for. Um, Step functions built in the Express model, 
So the express model is the high volume, shorter execution time um, step function um, flavor. So you can now use API Gateway to trigger a express step function and do it in a synchronous fashion so you get your result back from the request. Um, so that's really neat and I'm excited about that. So yes, we couldn't skip over that. Sorry, Ian. No, that's perfectly valid. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And I've just noticed the Amplify, <laughs> the Amplify admin UI as well. We we're going to skip over that. That's really cool. Um, so if you've used Amplify before, um, you'll know it's a pretty rudimentary uh, user experience in the console. Uh, so there's now this admin UI that you can spin up. It's essentially a CloudFormation stack, I guess. Um, that that it, it's a con- you, you turn it on, it configures it for you, um, and it's per your application. So your application has an admin UI, and it's kind of neat because you can onboard users into it, and then they can do things like add storage or you know look at data in your data store, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's neat. It's neat. So if you're if you're interested in Amplify, definitely check out the admin UI. It's it's cool. Yeah, I think it's it's good for reducing the um the learning curve on some yep. of the Amplify functions. Yeah. Because when it's um, CLI only, that's not really that discoverable. But yeah, I wonder no, if this is more um, AWS's new ploy for making us pay for the admin consoles for everything. <laughs> this is the new model. Yeah, this is yeah. what it's going to sure. be. Well, you know, look if the value's there, people will pay, right? So. If it if it gets the job done faster and better, then I don't think people are going to complain. Well, they do now. Well, sorry, they're going to complain about having to pay for it, or grab the experience on top yeah. of everything else. Yeah, that's so, right. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So now we can go to containers. Oh, sorry. Thank you, guy. <laughs> and now I'll just have a little nap while you talk about containers. You want me to put up a, a little hold sign for you there, guy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go to the bathroom. So uh, I think the biggest news actually for containers is with ECR public. So it is the new uh, public version of ECR, which um, seems to be completely and utterly aimed at replacing Docker Hub now that that is rate limited. Yeah, this can only be a good thing. Yeah, it has a very similar interface. There are no rate limits as such if you are with using it from within AWS. I believe outside AWS there might be some limits. But yeah, um, in general, it's a good thing. The UI for it is a bit iffy. I noticed that once you go past page 5, for example, you can only go on further by clicking next page because it doesn't show you the actual page number you're on anymore or the upcoming pages, so always fun. But the actual way it works um, seems really nice. There's still some improvements, obviously, I'd like to see. But in general, I think this will help a lot of people, especially as I notice more and more of the standard containers are available there. So yep. I thought it was interesting just to sort of go back to the keynote and, and, and I guess because obviously there's some announcements in the ECS and EKS world that are that are um, tap, tap into this. But I thought it was interesting the way AWS are trying to recast what hybrid means, what hybrid cloud means. Because, you know, I think hybrid cloud, you know, we, we have an association with data centers and, you know, um, people's private networks connecting up with, with you know, AWS. And 
you know, it's not something that really AWS has been super keen on in the past. Like they don't tend to talk about hybrid cloud as being a great model. And they've really kind of changed their rhetoric, rhetoric. They've changed their tunes a little bit on this, I think, this year. And they're sort of re- repositioning hybrid as we know you have to have your data center, but we're going to bring AWS into your data center now, right? So I thought that the, are you about to touch on the ECS and EKS announcements on the... We'll get to those soon, yeah. You're, you're right, you're right. They, they did that already with Outpost, right? Uh, Outpost is just an extension of VPC. You connect sure. to your region, you use the same pipeline. Very expensive. <laughs> yeah, very, well, very expensive because there's awesome hardware. Why right? you look at yeah, it, it's yeah, like 40 sure. gig switches and stuff. And it's not cheap. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it, and just he said it, like he still believed in the cloud. Everybody will be in the cloud probably 10, 15 years. But from now to 10, 15 years, people still need to run stuff on-prem, low latency, uh, trading, stock market application, all of that need to be close to the stock market. And, and um, having uh, this hybrid model, but still you embrace cloud, you embrace pipeline, you embrace uh, console and, and CLI commands to be able to create infrastructure as code very quickly. You don't have to have these two tools, like a bit of VMware stuff, PowerShell stuff, and then mm-hmm. a bit of AWS transformation yeah. on the other side. So um, yeah, you can have one tool and, and do everything on-prem yeah. or in cloud. I mean, I and the rest of you guys, I mean, do you, do you see, what do you think of the sort of EKS Anywhere and ECS Anywhere ideas? I mean, are they going to get traction? So let's recap, there are two different products, right? ECS sure. Anywhere is really, the plane is in AWS, you need AWS, you need connectivity, you need to be able to command that all of that from AWS, and then you just have your node on-prem. EKS Anywhere is, is the full stuff on-prem. Right, so it's a different product. Um, I, I think it's cool. Um, if yes, anyway, I mean, all the other vendors are running up and down everywhere to be able to push the product. Uh, I won't name them, but uh, do, do some type of EKS uh, or Kubernetes on every cloud and multi-cloud and on-prem seamlessly for the customer. Well, now you have your solution, but you're still going to use the AWS console or the AWS CLI to be able to do all the deployment. And it's uniform, standard for everyone. Your developer doesn't have to learn something new, but you still, your container will run on prime with low latency. So it's cool. That is my view. I know I don't <laughs> like containers, but you still, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good, uh, good compromise. What we missed that ECR, um, is cross region replication of images. That, that's really cool. And that's, we're going to have that in Melbourne as well. So you can run some of your workload on one cloud. Uh, in one region and the other one, the other region with uh, your image getting replicated automatically by ECR. Um, that, that was one of the announcements as well. Yeah, that is definitely a good one. Yeah, as for EKS and ECS Anywhere, I'll be interested to see once they are actually out there instead of in the current um, not quite vaporware status. In June 2021, yes, six months away. Yes, yeah. um, ECS. Well, like I mentioned, need to run instead in the AWS, the, the control plane, but all your nodes can be on-prem on, or anywhere you want, as long as you can run nodes and, and the agent on it. For EKS, it's a bit different. Um, EKS anywhere, you need a VMware 6.5 or bare metal. Um, so again, running on, you know, EKS and bare metal, that's even better than the competition because the competition I had to have an hypervisor to be able to run uh, the, the manage uh, Kubernetes service. So having bare metal and VMware, I think is a good coverage for EKS anywhere. It's still going to be cheaper to run EKS 
on AWS with ARM, though, because EKS Anywhere <laughs> supports just x86. <laughs> For now, I assume, just like everything else, they are, as we've mentioned earlier, heavily invested in switching everything to ARM so that they can save themselves money, yeah. um, power issues, and all of that kind of things. But it wasn't just EKS Anywhere that they, they also basically released EKS Distro, which is the Kubernetes distro distribution used by EKS, which I assume you will have to use together with EKS Anywhere. Yeah, that's correct. They work together, yes. I haven't really looked at what it is, but I assume it's going to be fairly similar to standard cube and just with some added hooks and crannies and whatever they need to enable all the automation stuff that's now I have. Yeah, I, I, I had a brief look at it, but um, it's all full of things that I don't really understand. So uh, that was, that was, <laughs> that was, I just went, oh yeah, it's cool. It's lots of Kubernetes stuff, you know. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's like a complete, it's like a complete, you know, in the box, everything that, that you need basically, I guess, to set up EKS anywhere is, is in the distro ready to go. That's, that's how I read it. Uh, so, it, and with EKS anywhere, and the distro, you have three modes. Basically, you have a connected mode that you need to be on, on AWS. You have a semi-connected mode where you still use AWS to command, and then you have the fully disconnected mode where you need the distro to be able to do everything yourself. But you will need to have all the management to manage your Kubernetes clusters than, than the control plane, um, also console, sorry, in, in, in AWS. And the funny part is like, Snowball going to be able supporting compute instances for the disconnected mode for EKS anywhere with a distro installed on Snowball. So um, wow. I don't know who is going to run that. Uh, that would be cool. I want it on Snowcone only. <laughs> I know many of us are not the greatest fan of running Kubernetes in general, but one of the announcements that I think does have a lot of potential to improve people's infrastructure is the ability to run EMR on EKS now. Up until now, EMR is basically spin up new heavy instances every time for a temporary job. It takes a while and you have all the different versions that you have to deal with. Well, now if you can just spin it up on EKS, it can easily handle multiple versions of EMR. You have a lot uh, more use out of instances, um, probably a bit less scaling up and down going on, so your environment is a bit more stable, or things like that. I know at least one of my clients is definitely looking at that. It's not yet in Sydney at the moment, but once it is, they'll probably switch over to that for a fair amount of savings. Yeah, and I'll remind everyone as well that EMR is a single AZ product. So suddenly, if you run that on EKS, you will probably be able to balance it between nodes and uh, be able to have more latency between the nodes, but a, a, a better high availability as well on the product. Yep. That was a big point for EMR. So good things there. I do have my one little grudge to bear about the um, a certain named AWS CLI that is now generally available. That was all. What's, oh, Copilot. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Didn't get a patent when you should have. See, you just get in early. Yeah, you should have got that trademark down. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. You could have made a, made a squillion. <laughs> I mean, just on the subject of names of things, um, I mean, AWS is continuing, I guess, the, there's a long tradition of having uh, wildly diverse 
um, sort of approaches to, to naming. You got things like Copilot that kind of have a, a cool little name. Um, there's a few announcements that that kind of come out and, and reinvent that have been similar to that. And then you've got other things with just execrable names, just literally saying exactly what it is that they do. Um, it, it surprises me that their naming is so inconsistent. It's like they've got like every team gets to gets to name whatever it is that they're making, and there's no kind of cord- hat. yeah, there's no kind of coordination, or maybe they've got a wheel that they spin, um, and you know it's long, really obvious name. Um, you know, oh, you, I've chosen that. Oh God, I've got to have Apache Cassandra for whatever you know <laughs> it's called. <laughs> oh, I get to choose a cool name. Okay, I'm going to call it Copilot. Yeah. Because they're consistent on their branding everywhere else, right? And they've even got the whole AWS versus Amazon prefix thing, which all has its own internal logic. And yet, yeah, what comes after that bit is a real crapshoot. <laughs> anyway. Very much so. EBS. EBS. I think this is the one announcement that impacts most people, the announcement of GP3 volumes. Another good one. Yep. It lets you have faster disks for less money. Yeah, 3,000 IOPS. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's great. You just pick GP3 instead of GP2. By default, still, you still have the GP2 uh, chosen for you, so you need to go and select your GP3 if you use the... or specify it inside your cloud formation template as well. Uh, but um, how cool is that? I mean, I used to manage infrastructure uh, like 10 years ago with... Uh, different product and storage and to be able to produce this type of biops was absolutely a massive racks and racks of, of, of disk and now in click of the button uh, GP3 you get a 3000 IOPS and that's been available all over the world in all the region at the same time. How do they do that? I mean the logistic behind providing all so many <laughs> disk or kits or whatever that's very impressive They're touching to me. it to every but, existing instance cluster yeah. they've got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or that was in the making for the last six months and they were upgrading everything in the background and just enabled the drop-down list for reinvent. But, um, you know, 3,000 IOPS per disk is absolutely massive. You still can do Red 1 and, and all of that for you, uh, Red 0, sorry, for if you want better performance. Um, so, very impressive. But you still need to pick them. If you just launch an instance, automatically you will get GP2. You need to pick GP3 now. Yeah, but in addition, your existing instances, you can literally upgrade them with a click on the button as well. Without switch, switching off, yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, the same feature uh, existed in the past to be able to move from GP2 to IO1 or IO2. So now you can do it for GP3 as well, um, live upgrade. Very cool. I read a bunch of stuff that they were a bit, um, a few niggles going on in the first week after they were launched. Hopefully that's all ironed out a bit better now. Yeah, I saw some um, weird billing issues with like $70,000 invoices for a minute of TP3, things like that. Yeah, I think they had some issues about people having difficulty upgrading or something, but they might have just been, um, you know, one-off or two-off reports. I don't I don't think it was widespread, but it looks like it, everything's good now. It should be a no-brainer just to click the upgrade button. Yeah, and people used to provision one terabyte drive to be able to reach the IOPS they wanted, right? They say you won't have to do that anymore. You can just yes. provision exactly what you need, and yeah. uh, you have better throughput through um, EBS and then a better IOPS per disk. So, very nice. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's to me a key a key part of that announcement is the separating that 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 construct out so that yeah you can choose those two things independently rather than having to be a factor of one one be a factor of the other. Mm. Yes, size be a factor of arms. 
Yeah, flexibility is good. Yeah. Another leap in front of the, the, the competitors there, right? Because not a lot of competitor is offering so many type of this um, mm. with, you know, so many type of uh, saving as well. Yeah. And, and IOPS. Nice. And speaking of IOPS, there's now also the IO2 Block Express option, which is like almost a NAS made out of IO2 instances and gives even more insane IOPS. Yeah, it's really like a, like a SAN, uh, 64 terabyte volume and 250,000 IOPS at 4,000 megabit per second out of the box. It's just like insane. <laughs> About $3,000 per second. (laughs) (laughs) But who wants to run uh, Sapana or or Oracle Rack in cloud, right? You will be able to do that. So that's. um, Yeah, that's right. There are people out there who need that. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be building it for fun. Yes. Well, maybe they would build it for fun, but hopefully they make some money off it. And then going back completely the other way. Um, cold HD, cold hard disk volumes. Uh, now the minimum size has been reduced by seventy five percent, so you don't have to. Uh, so if you don't want performance or don't need performance, you can now have even less of the lowest performance drives there too. Mm. So you've got both bases covered. Yes. Cool. But let's have a look at the new instance types because it's reinvent so we get new instance types and we've got a whole bunch of them but one of them is slightly different than all of the others <laughs> and <laughs> i think maybe rob would like to talk about that did you test it rob already did you have a fan no i haven't actually um and i'm probably not going to to be honest that's how much I'm looking forward to these. <laughs> no, look. Um, if this is like this is not a new thing, it's just new for Amazon. Um, and sadly, there are a lot of cheaper options out there for this. If if all you're doing is CI/CD sort of work, there are a lot cheaper options out there. Especially I since... what it is yet. Yeah? Oh yeah, sorry. That's a very good point. Um, <laughs> it's on the screen. We just didn't say it favorably, <laughs> but for people listening, that won't be very useful. Would it? Yeah, that's right. Um, so yes, they do have the. Um, the Mac instances now. It has always been a, a big gap in their product offering for this sort of thing. Um, and it means that you have, people have taken their, their workloads to um, other providers because it wasn't wasn't available. But as far as the cost goes, they're not very competitive on cost for the Mac instances, especially since they follow Apple's licensing and do it on a minimum of 24 hours, which means that you're looking at a minimum of a day Days cost, so you can't just spin them up and run them. You know, during business hours when you need to do to run your CI/CD pipelines, you're paying a minimum of a day. So if you are looking at using it for CI/CD, you're looking at a, like paying for it for during the week, maybe turning it off on the weekend to save money. Um, and if you do that, you're still looking at around six thousand a year, whereas the other competitor offerings for similars is less than half of that, way less than half of that. So mm. um, I think it'll be great for shops that maybe. You can't go to a competitor because you could never get buy-in from security or, you know, you can never get them on your preferred vendors list sort of thing. And the, for those sorts of shops to do, prefer to have like a Mac mini in a cupboard somewhere. But if AWS is a preferred vendor and you've already got approval to use them for everything, then this will slot right in there and be really good for you. But yeah, I won't be going that way. Yeah. Even if they use the, the natural network, and did you see that? that there was a photo of, uh, of a macOS into a rack uh, connected to the <laughs> nitro network uh, from AWS with a, the, the USB cable there. That was impressive, giving like, so much bandwidth and so much uh, superpower. Yeah, for, you for Mac bandwidth tech. intensive yeah. workloads as part of your CI CD pipeline generally. Uh, like if, if their target audience is for testing apps, then it's probably not necessary. 
but there are a lot of other audiences out there that, that may need that. So it'd be interesting to see um, now that this this is there and it's connected right into AWS, what the future holds, like what other use cases will come out of this. Yeah. And plenty of other instances are in to learn. I remember when, I mean, I, I did my certification quite a while ago, now 45 or six years ago, but you had to learn all the instance types. You had to know them by heart. Now there's far too many to remember, I think, between the... the it's six, right the them on your hand, right? The five, the, the exam. G4, the T, oh my god. And they all have the separate suffix letters. Yeah, well, at least they make sense. The EN, you know, with network and the 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 Gs for Graviton, they, they are, they're that very impressive the number of instances we have in there. And then there's the AD for AMD and something whatever DS. But yeah, we got a whole new, a whole bunch of specific use case instance types. And most of these are not useful to most people. Yeah, I mean, they've kind of got the middle ground well covered, right? And that's, I guess, where the expansion is. It's it's into those specialist um, applications like, you know, you know the, it's like the inferential chip and, and, and the, you know, very specific processes, the graphics processes, the AMD, the AMD um, chipsets um, instances and so forth. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, as Andy Jassy said in the keynote, or I think it was him anyway, um, you know, the, the, the key there is just that, that they've done such a good job of, 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 creating an environment that enables them to very quickly bring these kinds of new things to market you know and that's a lot of that's around that not the nitro the nitro system you know helps them be able to bring these sorts of um, things into the into the market more quickly than their competitors can and you know even i think some in some cases probably it enables them to do what their competitors actually can't do you know um so yeah it's 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 I think it's really, it's proof of the, you know, AWS talks a lot and, you know, um, we obviously we spend a lot of time working working in AWS and things like the well-architected framework that AWS has, you know, put together and, and, and recommends that the customers kind of adopt. You know, there's so many things in there that are, you know, they, they, they do contribute to success of a, of a business like AWS and you can kind of see how, this ability to innovate quickly, like they, they eat their own dog food, right? So the, the, the well-architected framework encapsulates a whole bunch of stuff that they clearly apply successfully because they are pushing out innovation at a great rate. And, and I think, I think in, in, in a way, you know, sometimes you look at things like, you know, um, vendors have, you know, best practice type stuff and people kind of go, oh, yeah, whatever. Of course, best practice is use, use more of my product, right? But I think the nice thing about AWS's best practice is that you can actually see that it works because it works. It works for them. Like it, it, it actually, there's visible progress and visible achievements from it. Anyway, I I, that was just thing a I bit found. of most amazing about all of these new disk types and all these new instance types is that Amazon still has enough room in their existing data centers to be able to keep bringing all these new things in. Mm-hmm. You think they would be four years ago, but at least yeah. from, from our perspective, they just keep rolling them in there. Mm. There was an interesting thing, um, I think it was in the infrastructure keynote too, about um, the uh, sourcing, sourcing um, gear, basically. And, and they, they made the comment that even though a lot of stuff shut down because of the pandemic, they all their supply chains were in were, were fine, and that was because they had a much enough diversity 
um, in in their supply chains that they really weren't affected negatively. Whereas you know we know Azure um, had had outages early on because everyone started using Teams, right? And they were actually sucking all the capacity from Azure onto servicing Teams uh, and people couldn't spin up VMs. Um, so AWS didn't really have those sorts of issues. And I think, again, it's that um, the robustness of how they put their business together, that they've kind of thought about all those things. And yeah, I think it's it's, it's interesting part of the story, I think. I'll stop being a fanboy now. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> so... Moving on from the instance types then, on the networking side, I think uh, what there was what is potentially my favorite announcement from reInvent. Or at least I am sure that there will be a day where I will definitely make that my favorite uh, feature, which is the VPC reachability analyzer. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is super cool. I I, I I'm sure. Um... JM, you're dying to talk about it too, but I, I pulled it up in the in the console and and just r- r- ran a reachability and um, you know set one up, um, and yeah, it's just it's so handy. Uh, I can imagine it's going to come in handy definitely one day, and it's just really nicely implemented. Like it's just nice to see a feature implemented in the console in a way that actually makes good use of the console too. Like you get your little graph of all the bits and pieces, like, you know, it goes from here to here to here to here. And these are all, you know, um, and you can drill down into them all. And, and uh, yeah, so it's 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 definitely one of the, the nicer announcements, I think, substantial and well implemented. Yeah, very much like it. Um, a lot of our customers, you know, want to be sure that they've kind of talked to prod for example or um make sure that there is no internet access from one one place to the other and they ask us well how do you prove it um so that would be a perfect tool i think to be able mm-hmm. to demonstrate um yes there is connectivity back to on-prem and no there is no connectivity from the internet and and uh, the environment is secure and uh, be able to troubleshoot as well like Arjun said, one day you will need it <laughs> to be able to be sure that which security group is your problem or which knuckle uh, in the middle of your VPC or your route or transit gateway will will um, not accept the traffic you were expecting to to expect. And and I must say, since transit gateway we came in '98, I think in January '19 um, in Australia, uh, the network has becoming much more complex than it used to be inside the the cloud space. So there are much more more VPCs now, more routing. More hard availability between direct connects, uh, transit gateway with ISN numbers, international connectivity, uh, replication. Again, we were talking about it before. Um, so that's going to help a lot to know where your traffic goes. Yeah. 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 Just uh, at the moment, at least, it's still limited that you can only check the traffic within a VPC. Yes. So you can't see, can I reach this instance in this other VPC or can I reach this public IP address? All those things are not possible. Yeah, it's all just networking gear inside your VPC. Yeah. Yeah. But for that, it is really nice. Yeah. And something that I'm sure we've all wished for at many times in the past. Well, you have to do it yourself, right? Quite an easy to instance. There is some pinging around trying to find where was the routing, what was the route. Podcast and stuff like that. You have to do it like yourself. Running an old network looking glass sort of thing. Yeah. 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 Back in the 90s. And to be honest, I think there is another case for this uh, to be able to demonstrate that what you build infrastructure as code is what you deliver. You know, I, I love reviewing code 
and then reviewing the console as well to make sure that the route we declare inside the design document or something are really the, the route who are deploying the VPC. Sometimes you do a cut and paste error in, in your code. So that analyzer will be able to prove as well, yes, you know, we have certain routing we put in place is inside the design document and then the analyzer prove it. Um, and you can maybe even run that analyzer once a week or something to prove that uh, unit is still the same as it was designed. Yeah, is it, that, that was one thing I didn't get a chance to have a look at. Can you actually schedule it to to um, to run those uh, analyses on a regular basis and then potentially, you know, log results or or whatever? there's cloud formation support. So, I mean, you could deploy it through Lambda or something and then uh, make it run even if that feature is not there. I haven't seen that feature yet. Mm. Yeah, it's not in there. And I think that kind of... Um, Considering they're charging ten cents per call, they are trying to prevent you from setting it up to run every minute. Yeah, because because that's the next thing you think of doing is I want to I want to set this analyzer up and then I want to run it every day, and maybe it's ten cents a day. You wouldn't think too too it was too bad, but um, yeah. To pull my compliance, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's just another it's just another health metric essentially. It becomes, doesn't it? Or can it could become. Um, another big one, I think, Transit Gateway and SD1, uh, the support um, for SD1 branch connectivity, and, and a lot of products going to be supported. Uh, some customers are using that on-prem and, and creating network quite dynamically. So Cisco, Aruba, Palo Alto, all these networks are going to be supported uh, with interaction with the Transit Gateway. Um, uh, only in Virginia at the moment, and Oregon and Ireland, but uh, other region coming soon, so I'm sure some of my customers are going to look at that when they have a lot of um, uh, GR internal and BGP and stuff like that on-prem to be able to create SD1 across uh, leveraging transit getaway. Then we have DevOps and a couple of big announcements there as well. Have any of you played with AWS Proton yet? No, I looked at it up, um, on the day that it was announced and then I saw that tweet that that someone basically dismantled it and said and said how terrible the UX was, and and I didn't go and look at it myself. After that, I just went, oh, it's not ready yet. Um, I think conceptually, if I understand it correctly, I think it sounds like a it's filling a gap of just that whole orchestration of multiple kind of serverless um, you know applications, and um, you know giving putting some management around that because I think that that, that there probably is a gap there. Um, but yeah, I haven't actually tried it myself, so. Uh, just yet another orchestration platform to learn, really. Yeah. That's, yeah, I haven't gone, uh, gone into it on its merits yet. Need to do that. I feel like it's going to be an important one. Yeah, we were talking about it before, like moving from EC2 to containers to Lambda, how you can orchestrate all of that yeah. in, into one one tool and then progressively move your um, monolith application to a more microservices focus and, and, and stuff like that, so yeah. Yeah, and I think I think people at the moment who are working in serverless tend to sort of roll their own sort of management frameworks around, you know, managing all those um, parts. Yeah, well, that's right. And so I think that I think it's I think it's definitely an area that's that's that needs something. So whether Proton is the thing that's going to be the answer, we'll 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 we'll, we'll get back to you on that one. A similar servers that may or may not be useful is probably DevOps Guru. 
So we no longer just have Code Guru, but we have DevOps Guru as well. Finally, somebody else to tell the DevOps people they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the DevOps people wrong, Rob. Sometimes. Okay. But you know, we've, we've had AWS services to tell um, developers that they're wrong that's, for a while now. It's, it's DevOps' true. turn. Yeah, 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 good. And yep. ML, you know, machine learning's, of course, got to be part of it. Um, has anyone actually dug into this one and, and, and had a go at it or looked at what it does? No, again, it's just in previews. But the, um, the, the training data for ML, like, you couldn't get, pick a better, better source for that than what AWS does themselves. So maybe you'll get good insights out of it. At least I'm not, I don't look at it being a, uh, I could probably wouldn't take it seriously. I haven't had a look at it yet, obviously, but it has the potential, I think. Yeah. yeah you might have like a warning fatigue as well if you tell you, oh, you're missing CPU on CloudWatch, you're missing this, you're missing that, that's too many, and then you just don't look at it. And um, that, the finding that white balance between alerting what's missing and what needs to be done, it's uh, going to be interesting, yeah. But um, I'm looking forward to enabling a couple of accounts to see what, what comes out of it. Mm. Mm. Definitely one that I'm, I am going to give a go. And speaking of, of names, um, there was three announcements, I think, with Lookout in the name. Mm-hmm. And um, it just reminds me of, you know, uh, well, just I, I just can't help but say, Lookout! Um, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, do you want us to feel, feel excited about using this product or do you want us to feel scared? Um, well, beware the metrics. Yeah, beware. Um, look out for metrics. Exactly. Um, well, the other two look out for equipment, and I think something else. Look out for vision, or look out for, for vision. Yeah, yeah. Look out for vision. Look out for vision. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's sort of it's hard to. So are they kind of creating a new sub product category here? Of is look out their new name for anything where they've put ML over the top of a whole bunch of sort of data and are using it to do anomaly detection. That seems to be the kind of common thread. So look out for metrics, which is supposed to help you monitor the health of your business, your business. I have to mm-hmm. do narrow air quotes. Um, so presumably that's, that's going to be looking at all, you know, any kind of metric, presumably. Is it, is it only sort of going to cover certain kinds of metrics? Does anyone know? I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, generally speaking, it might it might cover anything. I think is is kind of what it's kind of the vibe I'm getting is that they're sort of saying, well, you know, you could potentially look for anomalies in any kind of data with this product. I think it's any kind any, of any any time series data. Yep. Yeah. So anything that's an, a, a, a represents something that could be indicative of of health of some part of your business. Um, it can it can work on, and obviously there's a theme here, right? So the look out for equipment is working on um, sensor data, which is just another kind of data. Again, it's time series data, and look out for vision. I guess is just really a combination of that plus some recognition, or don't know. Have, have I just wrecked everything by talking about all the look out things in one go? <laughs> there goes the rest of this this podcast episode. <laughs> now there's nothing left to talk about. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, have a Merry Christmas and uh, <laughs> we'll see you next year. But moving on in the DevOps sphere, we have one reason less to make fun of CodeGuru. Yes. It now actually supports a language we care about. <laughs> <laughs>
It was interesting. This announcement kind of almost just slipped out without anyone really, without any fanfare, didn't it? I saw it on a slide, Code Guru Python support. Um, I think it might have even been during the keynote, but was there ever actually an announcement? Well, obviously, this is a link to the announcement. Oh, this is a blog. A blog. Was there an announcement of it? Or did they just kind of go, oh, yeah, oh, Code Guru does Python too, by the I way? I just saw it in a tweet. Yeah. That was yeah. my first yeah. 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 Yeah, they probably didn't go too public about it because it's still in preview. Right. And maybe Python developers just go, you don't need, I don't need Code Guru. My, my, my code is awesome. Sure. <laughs> I'm a Python developer. Yeah. Just think awesome. of the um, inception going on here since Python is most commonly used for, for ML and they're using yeah. ML to analyze your yeah. ML Python code. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dun, yeah. Dun. Is this first stage to um, the singularity <laughs> through artificial intelligence? Getting it to review Uh-oh. itself? Oh, no. I'm, I'm, scared. Scared. I'm scared now, man. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> of course it's not going to, de- to detect that stuff yeah. going on in the middle there. <laughs> Right. Well Kill all the folks. humans. Yeah. Oh, nothing to see here. <laughs> so there's a bunch of code guru things. Yeah, so lots of the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah, filling out the product. Filing, heap summary, code quality detector, da 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 da. Yeah, Security detectors. To see if they can do this any better than the other products on the market or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't use Python, so I'm not going to try it anytime soon. Yeah, you'll just have to use, you, you switch to Java so you can use so you can use. Oh it. yeah, absolutely, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> okay. Modules for CloudFormation, another way to write your custom CloudFormation things. It's a big one. Yeah. Yep. I'd forgotten about that one actually. I remember everyone was very excited on the on the day, but um... that was an early one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. So it's cool. I've played around with it. It has some things you have to take into account. So basically what it is for people who are not familiar yet is you can write a CloudFormation template that you then upload to the registry, which was originally built for custom resources that you can upload. And then you can reference that template just like you do another type. So you define this is the input output or rather these are the parameters that you need for your templates and it then builds the whole thing. Fun thing here is also I noticed the naming because um, when you give your resource a name in your real template, it will then add a suffix of the names of the resources that you defined in your module. So if you want to reference, say, an S3 bucket in your module and you, you, you made a resource called audit, you use the module. The module has a template. Uh, the module's template consists of things like buckets, key, and policy. Then you reference in your main template the ARN of some of the buckets by going audit bucket.arn. This is a bit annoying in ways, I'm guessing. I know it's ruined my idea of just changing over some S3 buckets easily. But obviously you can import exports them anyway, so there's ways around that. But in general, it seems like a nice way to make certain functionalities available to other people in an easy way. And then you can easily manage them. So in that regard, 
I like it. Yeah. So what I found is like you, you push that through the registry in, into a single account. So um, to have some consistency across multiple accounts, that's going to be maybe a challenge there to be able to push a different template. But for an enterprise, if they want to define an S3 bucket or the type of um, template they want for an EC2 instance, for example, to have specific security groups, specific encryption keys, then they can define that template and therefore a developer just going to call that that template from another template and then be able to deploy that environment very quickly uh, conform. So that's really look, look when you look at the Terraform and uh, all the products who are acting similarly, um, you can do this kind of stuff as well. So um, that's a good direction, I think, of cloud, cloud formation. I would like to see more sharing capabilities across account. That would be very good. And, and a versioning option as well to be able to do version one, version two of the same template at the moment. That's not supported. Security then. What do you think about audit manager to audit preparation in, in the security section um, to be able to validate and then analyze your account for certain standards like PCI or CIS and then the, just mentioning, yes, you have been compliant all the time. I think that's going to be helping a lot of companies. I know some banks have been building some environments similar to this. So um, maybe now that can be done. And when the auditor comes to say, yeah, I've been compliant for the last 30 days, have a look. Yep. That looks, that looks cool. Yep. What do you think, Rob? That's good. Do you plan to use it? Me? Mm, not at the moment. No. Not deep into <laughs> AWS Auto Manager at the moment. Cool. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. It sounds yeah, useful. But... It does sound yeah. useful. Yeah. It does sound useful, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you can do that across account as well, which is another cool thing. Yeah, um, if you want that, the, the full view. But uh, I think, yeah, that more more to see. I think on that product. Yeah. So there's a few SSO announcements. Um, uh, mainly, probably the one that's coolest is requiring users to set up MFA um, when you when you create a user. Um, yeah, I like that as well. So that's that's neat. That's um, so couple- hard for you used to manage this. Yeah, what you used to manage this is so hard to do to make sure that everybody has an MFA. So now you can enable SSO, you want an MFA, but at the first logging, that person will need to mobilize, the, create that MFA himself without having yep. any fuss about it. And if that person loses that MFA as well, you can just remove it and then he will log in again and set up the new MFA. So Maybe. that happens quite often. Yeah, yeah, right. And yeah, that's support that's cool. as well, Google Authenticator, UV keys, and all the rest. So that's, again, cool stuff there. Yeah, I actually also like the built-in biometric authenticators, which is basically like Touch ID or Windows Hello, I think. Yeah, the fingerprint for Mac, yes. Yes, I want to see that in action. Yeah, I haven't seen, seen that, that yet. I've tried it. It's great on Chrome and doesn't work on Safari or Firefox. There it will ask, please insert your um, UBKey type device. Oh, right. right okay. Gee. Well, I know YubiKey didn't work on Safari before. I don't know now. But, no, that uh, one probably works because that the, the message that comes up actually asks for that. Right, okay, okay, yeah. It's just that Touch ID, which is Apple's own thing, doesn't work there, which also means it probably can't be used with things like Face ID, which would be even nicer. Mm. But big jump from SSO, right? SSO has been around for years now, and then they had nothing. No MFA, like nobody could use that. And then now they put email, and now now they're supporting everything. So that's really a big jump from. Well, they've they've had device based, so they've had um, virtual MFA f- 
on like Google Authenticator that stuff for over a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But SSO was yeah out for for a while now. Anything else in the security that we feel deserves a call out? There wasn't that much security related news, I believe. No, sort of incremental stuff. Go and look them up yourself. In that case, data storage and processing. Again, I think it's pretty obvious which one is the coolest here, and that is our serverless version two. Yep. Oh, and Bubblefish as well. That's, that's yeah, yeah. They're both, they're both good. Yep. Yeah. But serverless number two, you wanted you talk about it before, guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm actually not not really the full bottle on it, but but um, the 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 kind of key thing is that it's it can scale up within seconds now, or within mm-hmm. even less than it scales up instantly. So that's that's a really nice feature. Yeah. And yep. it's kind of the kind of the thing it needed to do to make it more useful in more use cases. Because yeah, like you couldn't really apply it to a lot of situations when the, the, the scale-up time was too 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 long. Yeah, so, yeah. up to a minute sometime, right, depending on, on the questions. So, and V2 as well, I think, come with a lot of new features who have filled the gap of V1, like multi-AZ. That was, you know, something you want to have for very uh, on-demand enterprise kind of database, global database, real replica, backtrack, parallel query at launch, all of that. Um, from from V2, so we get V1 in Sydney just now. Uh, we need to wait a bit more for. Yeah, we don't want it. <laughs> no, we got it for Postgres. We already had it for MySQL. Oh yes, yes, yeah. No, I think it's the fact that they're calling it V2 as well means that it's they've gone back to the drawing board and it's it's not just an incremental upgrade mm. here. It's it's a reimagining of of the product and it looks mm. like it it hits all those gaps that that made it un- unfeasible sometimes in yeah with V1. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the the line here in the in the announcement, there's no database capacity for you to manage. You pay only for what the capacity your application consumes. You can save up to ninety percent of your database cost. That's what I want. Yeah. I want so I want something that I can use that that's going to work that way. Yeah, that's that's the that's yeah, the sweet the spot. First, serverless relational yeah. database product. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, at that point, it can almost just replace regular or. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's just sure. it's just a yeah maybe now it's just a no brainer. You switch it on and get all the benefits and none of the maintenance. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, sure. That's maybe it'll come to, to Australia soon. Yeah, let's hope so. The Melbourne region. Yeah. Bring it to Melbourne first. Let's start a campaign. Uh, this is going to be the new thing, isn't it? <laughs> what, what services can we get before Sydney? Yeah, before yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> For sure. Why not? But yeah, so that's really cool. And then. And then Babelfish was the other the other nice nice one. That's a big one. That's a huge yeah. one. So yeah, I was surprised I mean, by this one, yeah. Yeah, I mean AWS obviously has has the proprietary databases, uh, SQL Server and Oracle in their sites and has had for some time, and this is the next shot across the bow of Microsoft, I guess, um, in uh, getting people to be able to move off um, SQL Server and and onto an open source database. So this is a, basically a translation layer that sits between your application and Aurora Postgres, and it handles, it takes all the um, SQL Server TS, native TSQL. Yeah, queries and translates them on the fly to, to Postgres. So, you know, this is always, every customer I ever encounter who's got SQL Server, they're bleeding money and they're sad. 
and um, you know if this can be a solution for even you know twenty percent of them, um, it's mm. going to be a massive a massive boost I think to 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 customers looking to looking to to kind of go uh, cloud native and open source databases save uh, money replace. on their SQL licenses absolutely yeah. Because those things cost, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars a month. That, that, that they're just they're just paying for for SQL licenses. Yeah. Um, so. You and know. I guess this is what Microsoft gets for making it so much more expensive to run on AWS than. Absolutely. Than Azure. Absolutely. I'm sure there's no love lost there. Um, they play play all the sort of funny games around licensing, um, and um, yeah, you know, justice. There's a certain amount of karma. Karma here, I think it will. It's, it's even open source now. You can even use it on prem if you wanted to to help you to start testing and, and do this kind of stuff. You don't have That's to, right. to just use the source. Yeah. yeah, That's right. So the Babelfish layer is an open source project. So absolutely, yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah. It's one of the best announcements. Well, I can't wait to see this one for Oracle Babelfish too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm sure, yes, they'd have to be working on it, don't you reckon? Well, now they have the technology and Postgres and Oracle are quite close already, so um, I would see that coming, yes. That's yeah. next on the list. Yeah. yeah, and again, it couldn't happen to a nicer database vendor, could it, really? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And of course, if you're already switching your uh, MS SQL database to Aurora, you can save even more money now by running that on Graviton2 instances. Yeah. Yes, our 6G, uh, including Sydney, uh, they have Graviton 6 now. Uh, Graviton 2, sorry, uh, on all 6G instances in Sydney. Yeah, it's a good one. Free, free saving there, just swap the instance. Don't care yep. about the CPU, right? What else is good in the database world? Something about Oracle, we don't care. <laughs> well, cross, cross version automated backup replication. Now, that's uh, pretty hard to do when you do Oracle. So now, if mm-hmm. you have RPS done for you, that's, that's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. Undifferentiated heavy lifting. Someone had to say it. <laughs> uh, Postgres 13. Yeah. Uh, lakes. Yeah. Do we want to talk about lakes? Is there anything exciting about that lake formation? I thought. I thought one of the things that was interesting is probably it's probably coming to actually. There's an the announcements a bit further down. But one of the things that again was this kind of a theme was the idea of um, of AWS taking an interest in how easy or hard it is for you to move data between systems. Um, and I guess, you know, uh, some of the stuff that's obviously happening with S3, you know, plays into some of that, that, that sort of stuff. Um, but they, they definitely had a part of, I think, was it was it Andy Jesse's keynote? I think it was, uh, where he talked for quite a bit about about making it easier to move data between different services and 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 work with data more more easily. Because often you get stuck with you know data's in a particular format. It's over there in X Y Z format. I have to trans. I have to you know translate it into something else. I have to have an ETL job to turn it into some other kind in order to bring it into this data store over here so that I can do something else with it. So that, that whole problem space is something they're kind of, they seem to be yeah. focusing on at the moment. But yeah, speaking of S3, um, in a move that is maybe even more impressive than the complete EBS transformation is S3's strong reads after write consistency. So 
up until this announcement, basically, if you upload something or write something in some way to S3, you are not guaranteed to immediately get that latest version back. No. It wouldn't usually take long or things like that, but there was, there was no guarantee. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's always one of those sharp edges around. Yeah. So, so the tricky thing, the um, yeah, as you say, I mean, it might only be a few milliseconds, but yeah, the first write you would get read consistency, strong read consistency from, but it was all updates after that that, that would only be um, eventual consistency. And, um, yeah, so you've got to sort of wonder under the hood, so what are they doing? Because obviously S3 is a whole bunch of different nodes um, that your data has to be copied to multiple nodes in order for a read to be, for a write to be kind of finished, you know, um, and and any one of those nodes could be queried at any point. So that's why the eventual consistency was, was a thing. Um, but now, yeah, they've obviously made some change under the hood to, to make that not not a thing anymore. Yeah. That's that's the technical explanation. I hope you <laughs> I, I hope you hope you managed to 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 stay with me there. <laughs> All that was missing was it was a few cloud shapes drawn on a whiteboard and <laughs> some arrows. And, yeah. yeah, and 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 I've got so little room to wave my hands around. So you know, I can, I can make it full screen if you like to do some, <laughs> some air right. diagrams there, guy. Thanks, thanks Rob. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, so that was definitely good. Um, the multiple destinations so you can replicate now out to multiple destinations previously could only replicate have bucket replication out to a single destination um, it can be in the same region or different regions um, so and the other thing was the um, bucket keys so um, you can now have a instead of having so when you use CMS um, keys or CM, CMK keys with um, S3 normally all your objects would have their own um, KMS key associated with them, so that's quite quite expensive. You've got lots and lots and lots of objects in your buckets. So now with bucket keys, you have a, a KMS key that's uh, generated for the bucket, and everything in the, the every the object in that bucket gets encrypted with that key. So that's going to reduce the cost significantly if you've got a very very busy bucket with lots of encrypted objects in it. Yeah, it's mostly the calls to KMS that's costing them, not the amount of keys that you had for the buckets, but just the number of calls you made. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Because each object of a different data key. Um, that's right. Where within that, that system, the data key is uh, temporary. So there is a time. We don't know the time. That was not specified, but um, they use the same data key for a bit. It's a bit less secure than if you look at it, right? Because sure. each object are not the same, but for yeah. you're still using a CMK, you're still using all the, the goodies of encryption, but um, you know, you You've need, got need to look at now, your format. right off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, speed. And there was there was uh, an account limit as well per KMS key uh, decryption uh, and encryption as well. So I think it was ten thousand. Uh, it was quite low a couple of years ago, and then they increased ten thousand. But you still can hit that problem if you use, you know, big data, uh, EMR, and and all these protocols like scan buckets very very quickly to to be able to do um, that analysis on it. So yeah, I stuff to have that. Again, flexibility and choice. Mm. The two-way replication guy, I know you wrote a blog about that. <laughs> I didn't write a blog about the whole thing. Um, <coughs> yeah, is, it, is, that, um, is that actually here? It's not, I yeah, don't see there. it here. Is yeah, two-way two replication for S3. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone got excited about that. Um, but it's, it's two-way replication of metadata, not, not of the objects themselves. So, um, oh. so That's a misleading what it's, title. 
It is absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, so things like um, uh, ACLs. Uh, so you could you can on your replicated bucket, you could change an ACL on an object. That that ACL would be copied back to to the source bucket. Um, so that's the sync that can happen. Right. But the actual, if you go and change an change an object that's been replicated into a replica the replica bucket, it, that that changes and coming back. So right. objects can't be replicated more than once in AWS. So once it's been replicated out to, to, to that bucket, you can't replicate it again, which is what would have to happen to, to do a two-way sync. Plus all the problems, of course, of two-way sync, which... Conflict resolution. Not, yeah, then they're not, not, not insubstantial, even with versioning, uh, they're not insubstantial. So, yeah. But anyway, it must have some use case. As I said, I think I, I don't know what the use case is for for two-way replication of meta S3 object metadata, but it obviously exists somewhere. EMR and Redshift, who 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 knows about that? You're a bit of a fan of Redshift, aren't you, JM? Oh, I had a couple of customers to use it. Um, nothing special. I mean, there is, I think they're chasing, um, you know, some competitors who have been using AWS. Uh, I don't want to name them, but we do type of uh, product similar to Redshift. So a lot of new features have been added to Redshift uh, over the last 12 months. Uh, and, uh, you know, like data sharing, uh, table optimization, all of that, that's, they, they make the product really um, better than it used to be and um, easily as well to move that across availability zone again because Redshift is single lazy. So um, a good improvement there when you use Redshift. Yeah, and the next one about Dynamo is relevant, is um, referencing to uh, Elastic, uh, glue elastic views that, that this was so I touched on earlier about the AWS getting interested in the facilitating I guess of data movement between different um, services um, and glue elastic views is kind of the piece that seems to be fulfilling that niche so essentially it lets you create materialized views from a bunch of different data sources in in AWS, you can use it to uh, it will talk to DynamoDB, S3, Redshift, and Elasticsearch. Elasticsearch and RDS, Aurora, and Aurora are, fo- are coming soon. Um, so essentially, with this, you would set up your source table. You create your Elastic View that's going to pull data from different parts and essentially create that materialized view that then can be consumed by another service. Yeah. So rather than you have to, be able to pull the data out of a DynamoDB table or out of S3, you know, transform it into a you know RDS um, a relational format, you can just use the Glue Elastic View to 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 essentially provide that trans translation layer. Similar that you what you were saying before, right? Data has gravity, so it's it's hard to move that data and then be able mm. to analyze, keep it in sync and stuff like that. So that's um, that's going to be. Helping again, that's uh, you know a couple of competitors have been uh, doing good products. So I think AWS coming with that Elastic View going to help a lot, uh, responding to that demand on the market. Yeah, simpler data lake. Yeah, and yeah. and it's also using the particle particle um, SQL compatible language to 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 kind of glue all these different pieces together. Seems to be again something that that. AWS is kind of promoting, so you can use particle. So it's party QL. Um, I'm assuming that you say particle. So you can use that with DynamoDB now, um, and I think it's, it's supported and uh, supported in the Elastic Views. Um, so that's obviously well. It seems to be a a kind of a a, a, a um, common language that they're sort of using to or that they're introducing to to help you do these sorts of um, data 
um, yeah, shared data handling type operations. Day to day as well. I'm looking forward to, to giving this a go because of writing queries or um, in- actually interacting with DynamoDB was always the least intuitive part yeah. of the whole thing. Yeah, and it's it's a different mindset, and and whilst it can be super efficient and all the rest of it, um, it 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 doesn't seem it's as you say it's just not as intuitive as relational data is, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, lots of people have experience of SQL, and SQL's kind of simple to grok um, in a way that Dynamo tends not to be. Yeah, and I always end up pretty much either copying somebody else's query or going really <laughs> back to the basics in the. Yeah. Um, having to Google every, every single part of the, the query itself. So yeah. Yeah. this should at least reduce that time, time yep. spent having to relearn this every time. Yep, yep, for sure. Shall we go to SageMaker all the things, aka AI and ML? Yep, let's go. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, so there, there we go. This is this is the, the, the myriad of SageMaker products. Yep. But Sage Take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> Say them all in one go. <laughs> We've got SageMaker Jumpstart, SageMaker Feature Store, SageMaker Debugger, SageMaker Pipeline, SageMaker Edge Manager, Managed Data Parallelism in SageMaker, SageMaker Data Wrangler, SageMaker Clarify, SageMaker Model Monitor, and there's probably a couple more names hidden in all the other SageMaker announcements. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of SageMaker announcements. And if you're into yeah. ML, Go and check it out. <laughs> we haven't got time to tell you about it now. <laughs> Obviously, AWS's investment in machine learning and making it, uh, connecting it and making it easier for you to, to do it um, is is continuing. Uh, I think it's probably the good summary of that lot of announcements, don't you think? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting to see that they've basically tried to hold, do the whole, all the missing bits and pieces. So last year we had SageMaker Studio to do your development. Now we get pipelines to do the DevOps deployment type stuff. Data Wrangler to put your data in prettier. Jumpstart to make it easier to get started. Yeah, clarify. This is int- That was interesting. Clarify detects bias and increases the transparency of machine learning models. That's an interesting kind of uh, thing about machine learning, isn't it, right? The fact that bias can kind of creep in. You sort of think, oh, it's machine learning. It's obviously unbiased because, but it's obviously as biased as as the the, the training data it's been given uh, and the algorithms that you've kind of figured out. Uh, So, yeah. But yes, I agree. It's, It's a bunch of sort of administrative tools that they're kind of fleshing out around the outside to help you do it easier and better. But again, as you said, we're not experts in this field, so probably a good idea to look into it yourself. And you can tell us about it. <laughs> um, edge stuff. So there's some obviously lookout stuff. Yeah, lookout panorama appliance. Um, so bringing computer vision to the edge. Um, but Monotron. I mean, you know, it was like snow cone. Monotron. When you hear that, you just think. Yeah, give give whoever named that product more power to name the other products, please. Because <laughs> you know it's cute. It's it's not it's not you know earth shattering, but it's cute. But Monash, I mean, I think the interesting theme here is is how they've kind of really stepped into the um, industrial landscape. I guess they're, they're kind of going, okay, well, you know, we can uh, we can go into the factory and push push our solutions further into that space, into that problem space. So look out for equipment, 
Um, so if you've got IoT site-wise and you're already collecting sensor data and you're pushing it into AWS, Lookout for Equipment can do anomaly detection on on that. Uh, the Lookout for Vision is is basically taking um, you know camera feeds of uh, like assembly lines or, or inspection lines or whatever, and doing anomaly again a machine learning based anomaly detection to say okay this circuit board's buggered uh, or it's got a fault on it. I haven't really looked at Panorama Appliance. Um, but maybe one of you has. Um, but Monotron is is kind of the thing that's probably most interesting to me because I've made a IoT solution, which I think is. Pro- I mean, they they do make IoT sort of solutions like they had the the button and you know um, Deep Lens and obviously Deep Racer and dare I say it, um, Deep Composer. Um, they do make um, sort of devices, but uh, I thought this was interesting. Um, it's an interesting play into that sort of industrial monitoring space um, with a, a sort of monitron device, which is just a little Bluetooth enabled um, accelerometer plus temperature sensor, essentially, that you just epoxy onto your equipment. Um, any kind of rotating equipment um, that's that's going to obviously have a particular kind of profile when it, when it starts to go wrong. And... It has a um, a gateway device that comes with it, and basically puts all pushes all the data up to up to AWS, and um, then you've got a little app that comes with it that um, gives you your data and shows you when things look like they're going wrong. So it's neat. Yeah. No, I think that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Speaking of all the deep razor, deep composer, deep lens type stuff, a announcement that didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. We didn't get any new deep stuff. Gadget, no, there's no deep anything, was there? Well, so far. We don't know well, yet, yeah. Yeah, there's another one to, to go. Yeah. Yeah, but we've had the AI and ML. Maybe it's just AWS deep disappointment. <laughs> 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 That's my joke for the day, I can leave. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Deep sorrow. Oh. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, may, may, maybe they've just jumped the. Sh- they know they jumped the shark with Deep Composer, and they're just looking licking their wounds for a year. They'll come back next year. Yeah, like a ML, an AI etch a sketch or something. They'll 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 knock it out of the park. Alexa that follows you around your house. <laughs> yeah. Oh, doesn't she? Uh, she follows me around my house. She's already in every room. So yeah, <laughs> That's for sure. Right. She yeah. need legs for. Um. What else do we have? So. Yeah. That's- Mentioned earlier, we got added machine learning to services. Both Neptune and Redshift got ML added to them. I'm not quite sure why or what for. Or how it differs from the other SageMaker ingestion things. Everything's better with ML added to it. Yeah. So if a Lambda ML. Yeah. We already got that with Insights. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Everything, everything. It's like Cowbell ML. Yeah. Needs more ML. Then there's some Kendra announcements that you didn't didn't mention, but uh, I don't know whether anyone, I guess, oh, is. Yeah, Kendra for Google Drive connector. I mean, it's very hard to find stuff on Google Drive when you have a lot of uh, <laughs> people working on on, the, out, on, yep. on that. So maybe having Kendra to be able to do some good search there and some good analysis that would be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and you can now find more connectors and stuff in the library for it. Yeah. We're finally to the last section. All the cool stuff. There's a lot as well, by the way. Yeah. 
but most of it is groupable, so that should be okay. Regions and stuff, not that we really care about it, but there's some new wavelength zone in Vegas. I'm sure that the timing of that one is no coincidence. Yeah. And somebody right. is very unhappy. Yes. Just a stab in the heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. A um, lot more local zones, Boston, Houston, and Miami. Again, great, I guess, if you're in the US, in any of those cities, that's probably nice. Yeah, well, we got we got Melbourne this time, so I'm not going to complain too hard. We're not going to play us up there right. anymore. No, yeah. that's right. Yeah, we just have to wait two years. Um, <laughs> bracket, JM, you're our Every, resident. Everyone's favourite. Computing expert. Oh, uh, no, I think 50, 50 qubits. Uh, quantum circuit simulator that's pretty impressive I think there were 20 before so moving to 50 I think is a very fair number and, and um, yeah and if you listen to our previous podcast um, there is a lot of hardware behind that it was basically make available for you by the minute so that's mm. very interesting to use so yeah I'm going to I'm not like I'm just doing that <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I think the the all the quantum computing stuff needs to always be accompanied by the picture of the hardware itself, like the you know the room-sized refrigerator with the tiny little thing. The, like, the computer. Since, yeah. since the compute chips like here this big, it's and a the, ten the, cents <laughs> a coin to in, in yeah. a massive air conditioning machine. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. That blows my mind. Yep. So bracket stuff. There was some bracket stuff. If you're into quantum computing, rejoice. There was there was some love for you. Can't um, connect. Oh, massive um, amount of connect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, connect is obviously a key product that's you know really kicked off this year with the pandemic. So there's they're still busily adding new features to that. And I also have to admit, they generally have good feature names. Yeah. So contact lens last year was really nice, and this year I see connect wisdom. Yep. Which gives contact center agents the information they need to de- quickly solve customer issues. So it's a knowledge base. Yeah. <laughs> good, with a yeah, good name. It's probably got ML well, in it though, Rob. You recognize, right, yeah, right, you sorry, recognize yes. your voice first, get some words, and then start searching in, into your FAQ kind of documentation uh, what could be the problem with the customer and, yeah. and uh, start popping up stuff on the screen. That's, that's pretty cool. I mean, pretty hard to do if you had to do that yourself, yeah. right? Get that. Guess that makes sense. Yeah. Wisdom is ML applied to knowledge, yeah. supposedly. Yeah. You'd almost think they have a surface that helps with this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's really good that you know they they they're really the the nice thing about this product, I guess, is that they really are leveraging all the things that they can do um, uniquely. I guess where maybe a traditional call center software. Um, developer yeah, or they just wouldn't do it, right? They just didn't have the capacity, didn't have the capability. Might have thought it would be a good idea, but couldn't actually make it all happen. I think they're doing their best to really make it all happen. Yep, and I think that's that's really going to be their point of difference, yep. the connect going forward. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, I agree with you guys 100%, but when was the last time you called a call centre? Is it a product we're going to survive the next five years? Are we doing everything online without calling people? Well, I think the thing is that that there's probably more than one sort of channel that people will interact with, but the 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 chat the the the, the 
the functional um, requirements are still similar, right? Like yeah. if I if I if it's a chat window and I say I've got this problem, wisdom will still kick in, right? Yeah, for sure, yeah. It's yeah. going to query, you know, all. So so I think it isn't. I think it's to some extent it's kind of agnostic about how you're making contact, but I think that doing that making contact thing and making that really efficient and work for the end user is 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 going to be eternal. Mm, I would yeah, say. Yeah. Hopefully it works better than the virtual assistants that every everyone in their, their family has. Yeah. <laughs> what about Boss ID? Did you have a look at Boss ID? Yeah, that, my that was, that was is my passport. Yeah. 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 So yeah, if someone record your voice and then replay that background like um, you know, mission impossible style, will with that unlock your profile and get get you access to the bank account? Well obviously there's there's um there's probably multiple layers of, mm. of authentication there, but but I mean banks have been doing that for ages, haven't they? So yeah, I mean yeah. the bank app, but you know, my password, voice, yeah. my voice, rec- you know, identifies me. Blah 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 blah. So yeah, so um, nice. that's thing you're, you're too embarrassed to say about if you're in public. No, I, I, my bank does that, and I have to close the door and do all of that. You cannot have a child yelling at the background or anything <laughs> like that. It doesn't work. You need to do it through four yeah. times. But uh, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. And don't bother trying to use a voice changer app at the same time. <laughs> that won't work either. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Connect stuff. yeah. So what else? Quick site. Quick site. A bit of natural language to yeah. machine learning again? On yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I think QuickSight's an interesting product because I don't know how you guys feel about it, but when I first looked at it, I thought, yeah, it's like a really poor man's tableau. Um, <laughs> and, you know, this was, you know, years and years ago. With 1970s was, graphs on it. It didn't, yeah, yeah it, didn't, Excel it, didn't too. Have, it didn't have maps. It didn't have, you know, it was a heap of things that it didn't really didn't really do. It was pretty clunky. But I think, and I haven't looked at it, but I think that they really, they seem to be doing quite a bit with QuickSight at the moment. There was another announcement that was around enabling you to embed QuickSight in in your in your application. Yes, uh, you can now, yes. Yeah. yeah, so so they're obviously really putting some effort into into really amping that up a bit. So probably worth having another look at if you've dismissed QuickSight in the past as a poor man's tableau. Notice I don't don't mention Power BI because it triggers me. Um, but uh, yeah. It's probably worth having another look at again. Maybe it's a middle class tableau now. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But they had a licensing model which was very good, uh, which a number of query, um, and then right. a fixed price per month where all the other vendors had the price licensing per user. So right. if you don't use it, you still pay your ten dollars a month. Where if you have five thousand users, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Where a QuickSight has uh, the publisher model and then the uh, the query model um, that you just pay on demand, so a better licensing model in my view. Cool. What else? Everybody's favorite topic. Oh dear. The console. The console. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to know what you guys think of the unified search. Before I say anything. Yeah, didn't like it. Give me a lot of shit I don't want <laughs> myself. Yeah. When it, I when just it worked, want my service. Right. I don't yeah. want marketplace. I don't want all of that in my search. Just give me the service I want. So yeah, too much stuff. Yeah, I like the services parts and features part. Um, I really like that they service the features now, so you can directly go to Parameter Store or Stack Sets yeah, or good. things like that. 
Um, I have no idea why they put the documentation in there because I'll just use Google to search yeah. for that instead because that is far more accurate. And yeah, the marketplace, I don't care either. If I need something with the marketplace, I'll go to the marketplace and look for it. Yeah. I don't need it taking up space. Mm, mm. Can you actually, can you customize which which um, areas you're searching or is it just everything's that's, on all the that's time? That's probably what it needs. It needs a configuration panel. So do you reckon this is like Kendra under the hood or something like that? <laughs> are, they, are they using, are they implementing their own their own uh, products here? Poor, poor, yes, you're right. What does that say about Kendra, I guess? <laughs> well, it depends what you fit it, right? I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah gar- garbage in, garbage out. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously, yeah, true. you know. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I haven't really. Um, I mean, I sort of looked at it and I thought, oh, I don't know. It just seems like another thing um, which maybe if you got really used to it, you might value. But, um, yeah, it, it, I, it wasn't something that I was really feeling a need for. Maybe other people were really feeling a need for something like that, but um, yeah. There was probably a, a manager somewhere that said, my marketplace stuff is not getting enough visibility. I think you're yes. probably very, very close to the truth there, Rob, yes. Yes. yes hey, look, exactly. if, if for all of they cripple, the, the management console is good for me. I'll just leave it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what else have we got here? I think we, we're pretty much at the bottom of the barrel here, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, nothing really major. Yeah, I mean, there's a, the SAS lens and the well-architected tool. That's kind of interesting because uh, I don't know if you guys noticed the, the announcement of SAS Boost, which is a new program that AWS has got for basically helping ISVs get um, SASify their, their, their products. So having a SaaS lens just, I guess, is just another indication of, of where they're putting some thought and effort into a particular problem space, I guess, a particular problem space. But other than that, we've got the Nanos. And is there really only one candidate for Nanos this, this month? I only Out put of one in the list. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, obviously we've had so many announcements and a lot of them were of the type um, new service has been announced and then four more announcements. This service now works with this new service. Um, I didn't bother putting all of those in there, but I saw this one and I figured you enjoy complaining <laughs> about dark modes and workbooks. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, they've really, they've really spun that out, haven't they? They've, they've made every little tiny uh, um, piece of that because it was announcement about dark mode on iOS. Now there's an announcement about dark mode, dark mode on 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 Android. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's it's uh, it, they've really sort of eked that out um, for maximum value. Um, yeah, so so that's that's pretty much it, isn't it? That's that's reinvent so far. Well, Arjun, did you have a look at the number of announcements this year to compare last year? So we have, because every year AWS wants to beat itself, right, with the number of announcement innovation. By splitting out dark mode announcements per platform. Per <laughs> <laughs> platform, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they haven't announced dark mode on the web yet, I don't think. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that's, that that's will be coming in January. January. Oh, okay, the keynote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I didn't count them. I noticed. A ridiculous number but yeah and there's probably more to come we've still got several days left not to mention of course the other big news about reinvent 
it's not done by the end of this week. That's right. Yeah, it's been extended to January 15, is it right? Yeah, we've got like three days of reinvent in January for some reason. Yes, yes. Yeah. How how would you feel if you were um, working for one of the services teams and you were the ones that got pushed out? Yeah. For all of your stuff. After Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I've got a question for my fellow um, ambassadors here. So we we were we were um, hoping that we were going to get a, a pre reinvent special NDA um, firehose event. Uh, and uh, we were going to get so, some sort of pre-announcements of, of reInvent, and that all got cancelled. And the reason we were kind of given was uh, it's it's too risky that, that these these announcements might escape. Um, you know, if we if we let anybody know. And I'm just curious, like having now seen the first couple of weeks of announcements, what do you think was so secret that they couldn't do a pre-reInvent? Um, in under NDA uh, session with, with, with ambassadors to, 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 let us, to let us know about it. Like, what, what, is, what was in those announcements that you couldn't have kept your mouth shut about, I guess is my question. Dark Moth on Android? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> it's a fair cop. I, I, I guess that's, that's reasonable, yeah. Seriously, though? What do you reckon? Uh, the... The Microsoft SQL bubble thing. Um, yeah. I think I'm on Postgres. That's, that's you pretty out there. Would, yeah. You would have broken the NDA for no, that. I, no, I, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it's right. This isn't yeah, a quarter that, of that, that, surprising. that was surprising. Otherwise, I mean, Melbourne with you, there's a lot of things with you, you know, know, instances and stuff like that. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, but, um, yeah, search interface and then, you know, the hit on Microsoft as well on this one. But, and serverless version two or serverless version two, I think is is a good one. Yeah. To to be honest, I don't think there's anything there that I would have broken the NDA to. Oh, to no, share no. One. Um, so yeah, just just a just a minor snark on my part. Because <laughs> you know I became an ambassador this year, and I got nothing. <laughs> oh, don't be so negative. You got plenty of things. I did. I look. Yeah, I did. That's true. I got. I got the 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 um the company of of um you good people. Quite apart from anything. And you do it to give back to the community, right? To help other people sure. learning it and enjoying it. So yeah, I would have done that anyway. That's right. So yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's just added bonus. So you got maybe a couple of stickers and a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to my bottle opener. This is a bottle opener coming, isn't there? <laughs> and a backpack. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's it's all good. It's all good. All right, cool. Okay. I think that we'll call it a day then. We've been talking for over two hours. I'm sure everybody else is sick of us by now. <laughs> Even yeah, I'm sick probably of all, all gone to bed already. Yeah, yeah. That's it then. Thank you all for joining us here tonight. It's been great fun. I hope you learned something or at the very least you enjoyed yourselves. So again, let me thank all of you for joining me. Guy, thank you. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me. JM, good to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, really a pleasure every night. And Rob, obviously I'm glad that you joined us. Special guest star. <laughs> if I had to pick one, obviously I picked the best one. Yeah. Obviously. Thank you all and goodbye.